1: Hi, it's Joanna Okie here, and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we speak with the fabulous Bree Williams. Bree is the managing director and behavioral specialist behind People Patterns and also host of the wonderful video series, Talking Talks. In this episode of Talking Law, we talk about applying Behavioural Science to Practical Purposes in Business. Now, you might think, what are we doing talking about behavioural science in a podcast all about legal issues? Well, Bree and I really dig into how you can potentially avoid legal issues in a business by the behavioural science approach that you're using. We look at the top three reasons why people don't do what you want them to do, and then we spend a bit of time thinking about how you can perhaps make them want to do what you want to do. We look at the rules of letters and emails, and we also look at a very important element of how behavioural science can affect pricing. Bree has quite a unique perspective apart from that usual cut and dried outlook in this area. So, without further ado, here we go with our discussion with Brie. Wonderful, Brie. I just want to say a huge thank you for
2: joining us on the podcast today. I've been looking forward to this, Joanne. I can't wait to have a chat with you.
1: Oh, me too, me too, me too, because you're covering what I think are just absolutely critical topics. Now, from a legal perspective, we talk a lot about um, the importance of keeping cash flow running in the business and and, and having your cash flow systems working Working well um, in terms of uh, your your payments by clients, so that you know the whole business continues to run. Because in fact, cash flow is one of those areas that um, can really, for growing businesses, create that the highest element of vulnerability as they grow. Um, and so, it's ad- absolutely critically important. But I just love the take that you have on this area which is actually completely different to you know where we come from a legal perspective so it's so useful to have all of these different perspectives along the way um so maybe before we get into approaches to cash flow invoicing follow up systems all of those sorts of things let's talk first about where you're coming from today. So maybe can you just give us a bit of a background, Brie, as to who you are and your very unique perspectives that you're bringing us today, where they come from?
2: Well, thank you, Joanna. And when you're talking cash flow, you're talking to a lapsed accountant. I know there are lapsed Catholics out there. Well, I'm a lapsed, <laughs> I'm a lapsed accountant. So I studied finance and psychology as a double degree, which was odd at the time and Uh, finally made sense to me um, way down the track of my career but what I work with my clients about is bringing behavioural science into the work that they do now when I talk about behavioural science I'm really talking about the psychology of commerce the psychology of how people make decisions and how you can influence those more effectively so when you're talking about cash flow you're talking at the end of the day to a human who has to reach into their pocket and give you the cash, give you the money. And yes, there's terms and conditions, which of course you help uh, your clients bed down. And that's very, very important, but it's also the psychology of how we influence people to want to pay us.
1: Well, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, to want to pay us. Okay. That's a really good point. So how do we do that? And and where do you think I guess, where do you think the barriers are in in the way communication happens that that can be um, impacted by um, an understanding of behavioural science in this area?
2: So, my starting position, and this will probably be a recurring theme throughout our, our conversation, is that everything in business boils down to trying to get people to do something so that means changing what they're currently doing to what you want them to do. So not paying to paying, not buying to buying, not clicking to clicking, etc. And that could be your clients or your customers, but it can also be your colleagues trying to get people to participate in a project or sign off, uh, you know, a proposal, whatever you want to get through, so that your job is easier to do and that you hit your targets. So if Business is about getting people from A to B. The question then is, how do we make sure that we do that the most effective way? Now, I won't go into them today, but there are some reasons why we can't just tell people what to do because we'll get uh, possibly a negative reaction. And we can't just ask people what it would take to get them to change behavior. That's probably a topic for another day. But what I can share with you is there are only three reasons people don't do what you want them to.
1: I want to know what those three reasons are. (laughs) Yes,
2: drum roll, Joanna. The three reasons, and you'll forgive the pejorative I'm about to use, but the first is that they are lazy. Mm. Now what I mean by lazy is that people don't want to think too much about things, they don't want any friction in the process, so when it comes to paying you, how do we make it easy, for instance? That's the first barrier, laziness path of least resistance. Make sure that the reward is greater than the effort that we're asking of them. Second barrier, scared. People are scared to commit because committing to us, for instance, you know, signing off on that deal means they've got to give something up. Now, obviously, they will have to give up money most of the time, but they also have to give up their Um, Credibility if this goes badly, and they have to give up their time and effort. So, scared, we've got to overcome people's fear of proceeding. And the third barrier is confusion. So, lazy, scared, confused. So, confusion is when people might want to work with us, they might want to do what we're talking about, but they're getting confused as to what is the path I need to take here. Now, we can fall into this trap pretty easily by giving people too many options, or not differentiating those options. I've seen emails, for instance, with multiple calls to action. It's like, well, what is the most important thing for me to do here? You've given me too much to think about. So, Joanna, when we're trying to get people, whether it's to pay us or whether it's to do business with us in the first place, those are the three barriers, behavioural science really shows us we need to overcome in order to be effective Wow fabulous
1: okay so so uh, uh, and I guess he you know really sort of nutting into this behavioral science for practical purposes um, in in our businesses sort of cre- creates this thought process that I'm sure none of us are having when we're thinking about how is it that we're constructing our emails to get a client to pay or how is it, you know, that we, um, how is it that we talk about fees with with our clients? So, maybe let, let's take those two sort of practical perspectives and dig into each of them so that we can understand you know what? What this? Um, I, I guess what this thought process? How how it can impact um, us at the end of the day? So so. Firstly, looking at the um, cash flow inv- invoicing follow up systems, how is it then that we should be constructing an email to have the impact of getting a client to pay?
2: What's what's a bad way? What's a good way? Yeah. Perfect. So. Uh, when I talk about lazy, scared and overwhelmed or lazy, scared and confused being the barriers, they apply to us also as people writing the email. So we are lazy. So when you say um, we go to write an email, we fall back on our own patterns. We, it's like I learned to write... Sentences in a particular way, and some going to continue those. So, all of the techniques that we're talking about today require some effort on our own behalf in order to influence others. Now, in terms of practicalities, we have to be very careful when we're writing about emails. In fact, I've got a small book called, um, you know, Six Golden Rules of Letters and Emails for this reason. It starts with things like the subject line how do you get people want to want to click? And then it's into how do you greet them and at what point do you add tension into the language, and this will depend very much on how uh, negligent they've been in paying you. So, are they close to time? Have they gone over time? Is this the fifth email of, you know, that you've sent them in the in the um, communication pathway? So, the language will have to change. So, so but in terms of some general hints. Whenever we're asking people to do something for us, I always like the rule of done before do. So in other words, tell them what you've done before asking them to do something. So I've prepared your invoice so that we can proceed with the project. So you've shown that you've sweated, you've put some effort in before then asking them to reciprocate and do something which is pay you, for instance. Another rule that I, um, that I share with my clients, get before give. In other words, what do they get before what they have to give you so that we can lock in this time, so that we can lock in the project, so I can confirm the price because goodness knows with inflation, thing pricing is changing, so we can lock in the pricing, that's their get can you please dot, dot, dot. So can you please make sure that you pay the invoice by X, for instance. So done before do. So here I've provi- I've prepared an invoice for you, Joanna. <laughs> Not here's your invoice. It's here I've provided, an, I've um, created an invoice for you. So I've done you a favor of getting you the invoice that you wanted and get before give. So what do they get by giving me, what I want them to give me, and so how can this work?
1: You know, what's an example of how it could work in the situation where you uh, the, the organisation has already given? So say you've already you, you've already provided the services, and now all the goods, and now you're chasing up payment. So so what's an example of how you could use that get before give
2: in in the context that it's it's already been provided? It's difficult, isn't it? And this is where your work becomes so central because it's about setting up yourself for success in the first place. So making sure that your terms are um, short, so don't have prolonged 30-day terms if you can get away with 7 or 14 days. So you anchor them to a shorter period of time and you withhold or you stagger payment. So you get them to pay a deposit so that you are not as exposed and you withhold providing that final good or service until they've paid. Now, that's ideal. If they haven't done that, then it becomes, as I say, an escalation of scary language. So firstly, assume that perhaps it's just slipped their knowledge, particularly if you want a continuing relationship. So you might have missed my last email, which was dot, dot, dot. And then as you're going um, forward and they're ghosting you, for instance, that's when you're starting increasingly down the scary language path. Now, in terms of the get before give, this is where you really do have to fish around for a benefit for them for finalising this. But it might be something like so that we can avoid getting... No, I was going to say the lawyers involved. The lawyers involved. involved. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that we can avoid any That sounds like um, a benefit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Benefit for you, Joanna, for sure. But um, <laughs> that's when you can start to play around with the language of, well, what do they get out of finalising this? And it would be so that we can avoid, you know, the unpleasantness or the um, <laughs> attractedness. <laughs> Retracted contractual um, relationship, or whatever it happens to be, can you please, um, you know, see to this urgently? So I would, I would look at it as being an escalation process. Brilliant, love it. Oh, look, that's
1: absolutely fabulous. So one of the things that we we also sort of mentioned in passing, you talked about um, the escalation of prices at the moment. So that brings up a really great second area that I wanted to drill into. The, the way in which you talk about fees um, and and I think this is going to be really um, a, a, you know of, of extreme importance to our clients at the moment as, as we're high, entering into this environment of high inflation everywhere. Um, so fees obviously one of those things that um, all of our clients should be looking at um, and and you know our accountants and our listeners, Um, on this podcast, really interesting topic. And when you talk about this whole, you know, laziness, fear, and confusion, I often wonder if, you you know, um, professional service providers often suffer these three areas themselves when, when being fearful of increasing fees or talking about fees, you know, and maybe a bit lazy, they couldn't be bothered going through the process of talking about fees either and confusion. maybe they're they're, they're also confused about that how they're going to approach it so they they procrastinate and procrastinate and we absolutely you know uh, we absolutely have conversations a lot with businesses that I think suffer these issues. What's the solution, Bree? Give it to us.
2: What should we do? (laughs) Well, I think behavioral science is good in that it takes out that awkwardness because you know that the techniques that you're using are based on science. And so it's not just you pulling your your um putting putting your finger in the air and saying, I I guess I should follow up this customer. You can, you know, do it in a methodical way, which I know as an ex-accountant appeals to our logic for sure. But in terms of Right now and and fees, there's an expectation at the moment that prices are going up. So we should be capitalising on that because otherwise our margins are going to get squeezed. We're paying more for milk, so there's a natural expectation that there will be an adjustment. Now, that's key. Uh, Some language I just used there because when we are communicating a price change to our clients, we don't want to keep saying, Your price is going up, we're giving you a price rise, everything's increasing. No, you want to be clear in that you want to say yes, maybe once you want to say your price is increasing, but from there on, swap increase out with change or adjustment. This is a way of avoiding inflammatory language being repeated. So we don't want to keep hitting them over the head saying, this is bad news, this is bad news yes, be honest and transparent and say, look, our prices are going up because," and you can contextualise it with the adjustments in the economy. But from there on, swap it out for less inflammatory words like adjusted or change, and people will have a tolerance for that. So that's at the moment because there's a hotbed of inflation. Now, in non-inflationary periods of time, we do want to get into the habit, and this is where we have to overcome our laziness, but set and forget, establish a pattern of your prices being adjusted every 1st of July or every 1st of January or whatever time frame you want so that you get your clients practiced and expecting that prices won't stay fixed all the time. There is going to be a natural adjustment.
1: Really clever. Absolutely. So, so clever. So, and, and, you know, I I can see, I love these examples because they give real clarity around um, how how we can use these these concepts in practice um, and and deal with our own risk of procrastination, I I guess, along the way as well. And and just one last thing I want to touch on before we finish up um, this discussion. Uh, We've talked about uh, fees and Pricing. Just maybe, if you can give us sort of your top two or three tips, looking from a marketing perspective, because one of the things that you you talked about um, in your your uh, three step issues—the laziness, um, fear, and confusion was the issue with providing too many options. So maybe if you can just talk about that in a marketing sense, I think that would be really useful for for our listeners to hear um, and and to sort of ruminate on as they're preparing their own marketing or their own options. And maybe even this comes back to pricing options because you talked about increasing fees, but sometimes a, a fee increase might also come with looking at different ways that you can optional bundle things but how do we work out what is that level between good options versus entering into the space of confusion? So maybe you can take us through that, Brie.
2: Yes, it's a a classic uh, experience where we are trying to be generous and providing everything to everyone, and um, we don't want to let anyone off the hook. So we want to provide more and more options. And that becomes bloated and unwieldy for us to manage and very difficult for them to process. So it's a combination of two factors. Yes, it's the number of options, but it's also how you differentiate those options. Now, as a rule of thumb, I would tend to work on the proposition of three options in most cases. Now, That might mean you end up having to cluster things in different hierarchies so that you have three of this group and three of that group and and what have you. But an odd number helps because then it draws attention to whatever you have as the middle option because there is such a thing as the Goldilocks effect. People do like to um, tend to gravitate towards the middle. Now that then becomes a question of we have to make sure that that middle option has the best margin for us so what do we put as the more expensive option? And we want to for them to see that expensive option first because this uses the principle of anchoring, which I mentioned very briefly, but anchoring is the first number or first piece of information people receive is the most important. It becomes an anchor point. So if option A is $2,000 and option B is $1,000, I'm going to get a different reaction than if option if we'd had those reversed and I was going from $1,000 to $2,000, the pain is more significant in the second example because I was at $1,000. Now you want me to upgrade to 2000 ouch, as opposed to $2,000 makes a $1,000 look terrific value. So it's the sequence of those options and it's also how you differentiate them. So when I talk about differentiation, that can come really down to design, of how you articulate your features and benefits, not even just what features and benefits you have, but, for instance, using ticks and crosses. And crosses are significant here because often we like to say you can have option one, two, or three, and we tick them all. Sure, option three, the cheapest option, might have fewer ticks, but really it might at a glance, given everyone's lazy, Think, oh, well, option three looks okay. Swap out those blank features, for instance, with a cross mark, and suddenly there's a different psychological pain. So when it comes to choices and making sure people don't get overwhelmed by them, yeah, try and limit or cluster the number of options. Make sure you differentiate those options and make sure you sequence the options in a way that's going to make the one you want them to buy look the most attractive.
1: Brie, you're a master this is amazing. What fabulous information for our audience today. Um, I just want to say a huge thank you to you for coming onto the show. I I think all of these areas that you're talking about are just so important for businesses um, to get stuck into more. You you mentioned um, something about a um, mini book that you have, can you tell us a little bit about that, and 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 also let us know how our audience can get in contact with you if they want to um, get more information um, and understanding of how to apply um, these, these behavioral science principles um, practically in their business in a day-to-day environment.
2: Thank you. And the other beautiful thing, of course, about what we've talked about, it's not like you're doing more stuff it's doing what you're already doing, just doing it slightly differently. So it's tweaking. You don't have to buy new widgets. You don't have to overhaul your business. It's just about 1% changes that can drive your effectiveness. Now, in terms of the book I mentioned, it is a very small book. It's called The Little Book of Letters and Emails. Um, You can find that on my site, which is briewilliams.com. And Brie is spelt B-R-I not like the cheese, although I've had all of the cheese jokes uh, one can have in their life, briewilliams.com. But I'd also recommend a couple of things for your audience. That One is Just Do This, which is my program. It's like a, um, a repository where people can go in and find out how do I design my invoice so that it converts more effectively? How do I design my website so that it does the same? How do I, there are scripts in there to help you follow up with any challenge that you have so that you have the language, a bit of which we've talked about today. So just do this means I've t- I've taken out all the difficult stuff. You just have, just do this to get a more effective business. If you're more interested in behavioral influence skills set, uh, I'd check out my influencing action course, which is teaching you about the model of lazy, scared and confused. Wow,
1: I love it. Bree! huge thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast with Behavioural Specialist and Managing Director of People Patterns, Brie Williams. And as you've heard, there are significant applications of the findings of the behavioural science field to business contexts. And if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at www.talkinglaw.com.au. Will you be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail? If you want to get in contact with Brie Williams, you can check out our show notes for all of her details as well, including links to Talking Talks and, of course, to her business consultancy people patterns. You'll also find a link to booking in with our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you would like to find out how our lawyers might be able to assist you with any of the matters that we've had a look at today. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oakey and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. I am so very excited to announce that I've hit a non-podcast-related milestone and released a book. You might wonder why. Simple. I wanted to help business owners understand the mechanics of deal-making and the interaction between three critical phases of business, acquisition, growth, and exit. And so I am very happy to announce... Buy, Grow, Exit, a guidebook for business owners and their advisors on how to buy, grow and, guess what, exit in a way that maximizes value and avoids landmines along the way. The book is available now, so just head over to buygrowexit.com dot com dot au to get your copy and to access a whole heap of free resources that will really help you on your journey of acquisition, growth and exit in your business or in working with your clients.
0: We'll